everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. So, some of you know this about me. I grew up right here in Broomfield, and uh, growing up in the suburbs is an interesting experience, and you realize when you move into different contexts, things that were lacking in your education. So when I went to college at Biola University in Los Angeles, um, it was a Christian college. There wasn't a ton of dancing to be had. I don't know what it is about Christians where we are either really good and great at it or we just, we don't talk about it. It's like, we don't talk about dancing, no. I don't get it. Um, but I, here I was, uh, I'm, I'm a older teenager being invited to dance really for the first time. And a bunch of my buddies got together and were like, how, how do we do this? this? The story ends well with Ashley and I taking dancing lessons together, which is great. But a, a group of 18-year-old boys standing in a circle going, okay, what, what's a cool dance move? And we'd all seen Hitch, and so we kind of knew, like, there's a safety zone, right? Like, you can just... And if I'm, if I'm really going to demonstrate this for you, I think we probably need a beat, right? Like, DJ, hit me with a beat. Here we go. Okay, so this is, this is like, this is hitch, right? Safety zone. But as we're standing in this group of guys, we're like, okay, you got to move around a little bit more because in, in real dancing, it's, it's not just one thing. So it's like, you got to move around a bit, right? Yeah, okay. And you got to look cool, but like, don't, don't move too much, but just and keep the rhythm, keep the rhythm. But you're good if you're doing this, right? Okay, cut it before Usher starts saying words that we shouldn't hear. Don't do that. Please don't do that. You're going to ruin the punchline. So I'm studying this week um, about Sabbath. And I start reading this article, and there were two videos embedded in this article, which seemingly had nothing to do at the time. Um, But it was this study that had been done by the University of Northumbria in England about dancing. And check this out. You can imagine for me the heartache of I've been dancing like that for like 20 years. And it turns out if you want to be a good dancer, you have to dance like Elaine from Seinfeld. Just 
getting all it's the, it was amazing i'm not gonna do that you guys you're welcome <laughs> okay um but there is something to dancing and not often in the suburbs are we that great at it because we don't do it nearly enough and i wish that i did and i wish that we did but there's there, the point of this article that i was reading was actually talking about rhythm and beat and there are a handful of people in the world, it's a really small sliver, that are actually beat deaf. They cannot keep a rhythm no matter what. And some of you, I can see you right now that you're like, I know. But it's actually, it's, it's not very many people and most of it comes with variability. When a beat slows down or speeds back up, that's where, that's where these people just, they, they lose it. And dancing, you can even dance badly if you've got a beat. But if you can't keep a beat, you can't dance. It's, it's just so hard. The good news is with high variability, no one's gonna know, so you're fine. But rhythm is everything. And there's so many things in life that demand rhythm and expect rhythm. And last week, jo- Rob uh, did a fantastic job of jumping us into this idea of Sabbath. It's been in our schedule that that would not just be a one-hit wonder, but We've been in this series on the prologue where we're just, we're going back to just these really first three chapters of Genesis going, what was happening there? This was the introduction to the entire story of who God is and who we are. And if we miss things there, we'll miss them for the whole rest of the story because that was the setup. That was setting the foundation. We want to have a strong foundation. How'd you do after last week? Did anything change in your life? And I ask this not as a place of shame, but as a role of pastor. My job is to help you worship the Lord. My job is to pull back the curtain of heaven and go, look how good it is. And it's not just good enough to see it from a distance. It's like a pool in the summertime at a kid's birthday party. Look at this. Everybody in. It's awesome. And my concern, if we're going to hit something as glorious as the swimming pool of the Sabbath, the concern is that we will hit it, we will look at it, and we will walk right on by. And we just can't, because it's too good. So the question I want to begin asking at the front of the sermon, and I will leave you with at the back end of this thing, is how would you do? What changes? specifically, literally, how did you do? What happens when you hear about the sermon? Also, too, these fundamentals take practice. Um, This is not just something that you can just kind of skate in and out of. We're going to talk about some of these things in a little bit, but I'm going to spoil this sermon a little bit right out of the gate. There's some half sheets and some pens that are sitting all around you. This is meant to be a gift, not a homework assignment. But if you're here with your family, if you're here with your spouse, if you're here with friends, if you're here by yourself, this is an exercise for you. Because I want you to begin thinking through, what does Sabbath look like for me? And I think if you're, if you're doing really good work, you're not just looking inward and going, what do I want? But that your desire would be, God, what do you want from me in this? So that's for you to be writing down ideas. We'll hit that again as we keep going. But as you have them, that's what that's for. Okay. Um, if one other thing before we jump all the way in, this has just been bothering me all week. This is, this is a good thing. (laughs) Sabbath, it's rest, it's joy, it's delight, it's pleasure. It's a command. 
It's something that God says to do. And, and I think my concern is that if we see it in the word and don't see it in our lives, there's a piece of disobedience that's happening there. And I don't want to mince words too much about it. And the reason is because if we can't do the easy, fun, pleasurable, delightful things, what, am, what are we doing when we get to the hard things? And again, I, today is just, I, I want to just pull back the curtain and go, look how good obedience is the best. So I'm inviting you into the water. Okay, here we go. Um, in Genesis chapter one, if you brought your Bible today, you can turn there right now. I'm going to be reading out of the message translation today just to mix it up just a little bit. And I'm going to start in verse 24. But to catch you up, um, there's been a rhythm that's been happening in this story. Day one, God creates. And it was evening and morning the first day. And then the second day happens. And there's a rhythm because it ends with, and there was evening and morning the second day. And then there's evening and morning the third day. Evening and morning the fourth day. Evening and morning five. Evening, morning, six. If you're reading it as a story, it's, this ryth- it's a literal rhythm in the story that you're going, oh, that's interesting. Also, it should bother you a little bit that it's evening into morning the first day. Like, who's counting these things? Was that, a, was that a mistake that somebody wrote down? Because mornings start in the morning. A day starts when the sun comes up. No. To a Jewish audience, a new day starts at sundown. And we're going to see just how important that little detail is in just a second. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to go through two, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. It says this in the message, God spoke earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds, and there it was. Wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug, and God saw that it was good. Another one of these rhythms that shows up. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and the cattle. And yes, the earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. So God created human beings. He created them godlike, lowercase g, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female and God blessed them. And he said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish and the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on the earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree. I've given them to you for food and to all the animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes. I give whatever grows of the ground for food. And there it was. And God looked over everything that he had made and it was so good, so very good. And it was evening and morning, day six. Now, focus, because this is where it gets fun. Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. Okay, so we should be done at this point. It just said everything's finished. Chapter two, verse one. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. Okay. Two sentences in a row, we've been told, it's finished, it's finished. Next verse. On the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. God blessed the seventh day, he made it holy, because on that day, he rested from his work. 
all the creating that God had done. Everything is created. Everything is finished. But there is this additional piece. If you were to be looking back into a lot of the creation narratives that are happening around uh, this time in human civilization, the seventh day or the final act of creation would be that God makes the place where he lives. This will be the day where we make uh, Mount Olympus and that's where his temple will be and that's where he'll live. This is the day where Valhalla is gonna pop up. This is the day where God finally chooses where he will be. And in this story, where does he choose he will be? In time. He says, set aside time. I will set aside time. I will set aside rest. I will set aside delight. That is where I will live. It's so cool. Now, I think if we're to read this story from Adam and Eve's perspective, it's fascinating. Because, get this, Adam is created, it's, it's evening and morning, so God starts creating Adam the night of what we would say is night five, it's the night of day six, and he's making him all day six. And by the time he's done, Adam is sitting up, he's yawning, the sun is setting, Eve is sitting up there too, and, and they go, what are we going to do now? Like, who are you? What, what, what happens now? And God goes, oh, you need to sleep. And they don't know any better, so they just lay down and they go to bed. And then the sun comes up and they look at God and they go, now what do we do? And he goes, now we rest. They're like, we, didn't we just do that? And he goes, no, 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 you are sleeping. That's different <laughs> from resting. Today's the seventh day. This is the, only, this is the first time the word holy has shown up in the entire story so far. He calls the seventh day holy. They wake up, it's like the first father-son or first family camp out ever, right? They're in the woods, in a garden. They wake up, what do we do? All we're gonna do today, the entire agenda, is we're not gonna work, we're gonna rest, we're gonna enjoy. Look at everything I made. And I, I think for me, it's why it's so funny that he spends so much time, the writer, saying, let us make humans in our image, but then over and over again it says, well, you've got these cattle, and you've got these fish, and you've got these birds, and it's like three times he comes back to, well, and don't forget the cattle and the fish and the birds. And then there's the cattle and the fish and the birds. And there's just this sense for me that as Adam and Eve are waking up on this first day, they're like, what are we going to do? Well, if we're not working, what are we going to do? And God goes, I mean, there's cattle and these fish and these birds. And look at that one. There's these cattle and these fish. And these, it's a, isn't it delightful? Let's go for a walk. What do you see? Oh, cattle and fish and birds. Oh, and trees that are good with every seed-bearing thing that you can eat. And the animals, how good is this? You want, you want an orange? Like, this is fantastic. He goes, you should squish it into juice and then have some. And they're like, this is really fantastic. He gives them a pomegranate and they open it and they're like, what the heck happened to this guy? And I can just imagine them staring. Have you ever just stared at a pomegranate? It's mesmerizing. When you consider the one who made it, it's incredible. When you watch a horse run, <laughs> we, were, we did a Young Life training a while back at a horse therapy um, stable that's right here close to the church. And there's this horse whose name was Zach and he was huge and I was in love right away. And um, my, my friend puts me in the ring with Zach and she says, call to him with your energy, which I'm like, oh my gosh, my energy, I'm gonna throw my aura, I'm like Dr. Strange. 
and this horse just comes walking up to me, to just be in the presence of a horse that's not bridled, that you don't have control over, it's holy ground. It was so cool. I just imagine God taking them on this walk, going, oh, look at this, it's so cool. What about this? Oh, it's so cool. Hey, you know what we should do? We should take a nap. And as we're waiting to fall asleep, look at these clouds go across the sky. What does that one look like? What was that one? How you doing? Oh, you're sleeping. That's good. And they wake up, and this whole day is just in joy. Adam and Eve, if you're, if you're reading this story for the first time, you're going, this is the best first day ever. They're on vacation mode right out of the gate. And I, I think it starts to really mess with your brain when you remember who the original audience of this story was. It's a group of slaves, <laughs> newly liberated slaves on the side of Mount Sinai. It, all of Israel, which is who this was initially written to, they'd been in Egypt enslaved and they had just been taken out. They go through the Red Sea. Maybe you've heard that story before. And now they're on the side of the mountain waiting for Moses to come down from his first conversation with God, with all these people. And the first thing that they hear is they're going, what is this God like that we're supposed to follow? How are we supposed to follow him? What are we supposed to do? The first thing that they're hearing is this rhythm. Your day starts at night. It ends at night. Rest. And for one full day, every single week, you do absolutely nothing. I think this would completely stress them out. It would completely stress me out. Because I don't know if you've ever had an iPhone or a laptop that just stops working, like maybe the battery dies or it's just old and it's no longer useful. When you're used to being a thing that works, when you stop working, what happens to you? You get thrown away. You are worthless. And this is a group of slaves who their whole life they've been told you are as good as what you produce. And for the first time, they're being confronted with every single week, take a day where you're not producing. And it is disarming. Because now what are we if we're not producing? And I, I think if you're listening, there's pieces in you that are going, I know that feeling. I can identify with that feeling. Brene Brown in one of her breakout books, Daring Greatly, says this. She says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it, before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we are already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we get or get of what we get or didn't get done that day. We wake up burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack. I think that the folks that were hearing this for the first time are, are nodding as they're hearing Brene Brown. And I'm assuming that you're also nodding and going, I identify. We're trying to understand the point of this prologue. And we, we've hit so far that man is the crown jewel of this creation. Humankind is the crown jewel of this, of this creation. But it's not finished yet. God wants to create one more thing. 
He wants to create the space where he will live with us. He wants to anoint time and he wants to call it holy. And the story continues for God. If you can flip over, if you brought your Bible to Isaiah chapter 58, this is again a time where the people of Israel have been in exile. Things have been messed up. Things have not been going well and they have not been obedient. Isaiah 58 is one of the times where God takes a moment to step back and remind them, this is what I'd always called you to do. This is who you are. And he says this, Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is several hundreds of years later. And God is reminding them again, I, I wasn't messing around. This is, it's, it's so important. If you're going to know me, if you're going to be with me, keep this Sabbath day. And it's hard. Why don't we do it? I think there's some really simple things. I mean, I think Isaiah 58 points out some really simple things. He says, you're pursuing your own interests. You don't honor what God honors. You serve your own interests. You pursue your own affairs. Those are all things that were spoken in there. And I, I think that it's weird that we say no to this. Because this is like me giving Christmas gifts to my kids or birthday presents and wrapping them and handing them to them and them grabbing them and smiling and setting them on a counter and they're there for the next 12 months. This is amazing. Why is this a gift that we don't open? There's good reasons why we're busy. It's hard. It's a discipline to do this. But I'm going to ask these questions really slow because I think this chips away at something much deeper. I have a friend, one of my Young Life guys, that when I challenge him to take times of silence at home, he's like, I can't. I just, I can't sit in my room and be quiet because the grief and the despair of life crushes me right away. I just know it's waiting for me like a monster and I don't want to be drug away into the silence. So I don't like being silent. What waits for you in the silence that you're afraid of? What waits for you in the lack of productivity that you're afraid of? I think that if there's a fear um, that if we stop, we won't have enough. It is this scarcity mentality, this scarcity mindset. Is that a fear of yours? If you stop, will you miss out on opportunities to get more? Is that it for you? I think again, looking at these, these folks in their original context, these are newly liberated slaves on the side of a mountain trying to figure it out really for themselves for the first time. I think there's this obvious fear of if we stop, if we rest, what are we? Where does our identity come from? What am I supposed to be on that day? Is that your question? And then I think one of the most offensive questions that the Sabbath poses, are you afraid of death? To say no to a full day of work and producing and going 
means to say yes to understanding that you have limits. Your life, your energy is finite and you can't just keep going. The Energizer Bunny is a myth and I know because I use those batteries and they, they stop working after a while. There's something about a humility that's required to engage the Sabbath. If you're gonna say no for an entire day, you're confessing, I, I, I can't do it all. <laughs> I do need time to rest. I think if we're doing it well, it's, it's even bigger than that of, I confess that I need God <laughs> in my life. I need him to be the one that recharges me. And I, I think there's uh, Abraham Heschel, who's this rabbi um, from the 60s, wrote a profound book just called Sabbath. I can't recommend it highly enough. One of the things that he says in that book is um, you have to know that if you're not good at practicing the Sabbath, it's gonna be hard for you to recognize heaven when it comes. Because your identity, who God is, everything, <laughs> it's a taste of heaven. And if you can't taste it here, how do you think you're gonna taste it there? It's a little workspace, don't swallow it whole, but it's a good thought, all right? What's your fear? As an aside, as I was studying for this week, one of the books that I read in seminary that absolutely blew my mind, this is another fantastic book, is a book by a guy named Justo Gonzalez called Santa Biblia, and it's a Latino theology. Um, it's, it's understanding the Bible through Latino eyes. And one of the things that he talks about, he goes through all these different sections, but he lands on Sabbath for a little bit, and he says, most people, if, if you have a job, you read six days work, don't work on the seventh, and you're really focused on the seventh day. This is just for fun, but he goes, as an issue of justice, if you're looking at that from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have a job, you read, you're supposed to work for six days, and then on the seventh day, you don't work. And I remember it blowing my mind because it, it just introduced this idea of Sabbath as a practice of justice, that it's not just good for you to rest if you have a job on day seven. It is right for you to create space in the world where you go, people need work. People should not be standing around. People should not be jobless. I, I wanna be a part of making sure that people can practice the Sabbath. It's, it's a beautiful idea. It, it blew my mind. So, if we're going to practice this, what does it look like? Um, I called a friend of mine, um, Abigail, if you watch this, thank you, um, and, and just asked her. She grew up in a Messianic Jewish home that practiced Shabbat every single, Shabbat, Sabbath, Jew, Jewish folks call it Shabbat. Um, they practice every Friday night into Saturday night. And I said, will you just take me through what that was like for you as a kid? What did, what did you do? And you're gonna hear it in the remainder of this series and for sure in the next series, if we can go back to the source material, like what, what we're gonna practice as Sabbath is gonna be like a copy of a copy of a fax of a copy of a copy. We're getting a dimin diminished experience, a diminished view. If we can go back to the source and go, how did y'all practice it? You're the OGs of this thing. What does it look like? This is what she says. First off, Friday's nuts. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom and that's your job or if you work in a business and that's your job. Everybody's nuts in a Jewish home on Friday because as soon as the sun goes down, that's it. So you gotta, you gotta tie off every loose end that there is. This also means you can't cook on Shabbat. So if we need to go to the store, not only do we need to get groceries, but we need to get it all cooked so that we're not cooking 
on Shabbat. So, so Friday is this mad rush. If you're a business person, you're not sending emails. You're not answering texts or phone calls. That all, everything for the week, you're not going to see another thing again probably until Monday, maybe Sunday. So Friday is this mad rush. And then the sun starts to set. And it was so fun, like, watching her. We were on a FaceTime call, watching her talk about this, and her face just lit up. She says it starts with um, prayers and songs. And um, she said one of the songs that was her favorite is the husband, if it's a family, sings this song over his wife. And it's Proverbs 31. Can you imagine in your home, the home that you grew up in, can you imagine having a mom and dad? Can you imagine if your dad sung beauty and blessing and grace over your mom every single Friday? What? That's amazing. But it gets better. They, they have this meal that they prepare, and there has to be, um, you have to wash your hands before you have it. It's a very, this is a very tactile experience, as are most Jewish things. Everybody washes their hands. We're cleansed. There's challah bread, this braided, and she's like, it's very important that's braided. We don't have time to get into that today. But then the woman of the house, she breaks this bread and she starts giving it to her family as she speaks blessing over every kid in her house. Can you imagine if you grew up in a house with a mom and a dad, and the dad sang a song over your mom, and your mom sang a song over you every single Friday? What? So cool. They eat this bread. How the bread is handled, everything they're doing mimics what was happening in the temple as described in the Old Testament. So it's like we have this little mini space where we're, going, we're, we're, we're communing with God himself. There's a bowl of salt on the table and they take their piece of bread and they dip it in the salt and they eat it. And it's this reminder of we're supposed to be salt and light to the world. Jesus plagiarized. He was Jewish, he wasn't plagiarizing. Every single Friday, if you were reminded, we're supposed to bring goodness and beauty and flavor to everything around us. My first compulsion would be, we gotta get out there and serve the first act. We gotta get in here and rest if we're gonna be salt to the world. Beautiful. There's wine on the table. God bless them. And I don't wanna be overly cavalier with this. Some of us in this room struggle with alcoholism. It's a real thing. The point of this for them is not the alcohol. The point is that there would be something on the table that would represent delight and goodness. But more than that, a sense of God's provision. They would light a candle, and usually it would be the mom that was lighting a candle, not just one, but for each person in the family, they'd be lighting a candle. And that light, that that flame, always represents the presence of God. And then they give thanks. Thanks to God. Thanks for their week. Then they sing this song where they go literally to the front door and they open it up and they sing this song that welcomes the Sabbath into their home. There's this whole world around how the Sabbath is treated like a bride or a queen. But they, they physically welcome the Sabbath into their house. They have the finest ti- dining set set out. Everybody's dressed in their nicest clothes because the queen is here. Rest has come. They sing this, this song at the end of Shabbat called the Havdalah. And it's just a time that separates the, the holy from the mundane. We, we've finished this really special time. Now we're back into the normal world and into normal time. It's fantastic. It's strongly sensory. It's bread. It's wine. It's touching things. It's candles. It's blessing being spoken. 
It's not only because it's a fantastic teaching medium, kids really get the sensory stuff, but also to remind us that the physical world is not something we're supposed to be leaving behind. Shabbat, Sabbath, this is not a practice of going, ugh, the world, ugh, it's all, ugh. Remember the rhythm. It's good. It's good. It's good. The physical world is integrated into their spirituality, and it's so important. Okay, so what are we going to do? I can't encourage you enough, if you have friends who are Messianic Jews or just Jewish, to ask them about their Sabbath practices. Mind-blowing. It's so cool. But for you, um, what does your practice look like? Ruth Haley Barton uh, is a fantastic writer, and she has uh, several things that she talks about Sabbath. And this is where I would say, pull out those sheets of paper. Um, This is what she kind of says is, here's the basic things. What to include in your Sabbath. Um, First off, sorry, what to exclude. The first thing to exclude, no work. And this can be no email, no calls, no texts. Maybe even being as audacious as to have a box where you put your laptop and your computer and your phone, you put it all in the box and you shut the lid and you don't come back till the next night. What? Some of you just totally had a panic attack. Rabbi Abraham Heschel would say, don't even think about work on the Sabbath. It's not just enough to not do it. Don't even think about it. You're already, you're missing the point. If you're thinking about it, it's, it's, it you rest. Do you like yard work? Some of you are like, yep. Some of you are like, no. What about crafting? What about creating something? Work doesn't necessarily mean just sit there and twitch for a whole day. Just don't do work things. The second thing, no buying and selling. This is deeply rooted for Jewish folks in the Old Testament, but I think it keeps us keeping corporately about stuff. Because I think if we're doing it well, Sabbath is a justice issue. It's not just for the people that practice Sabbath, but it's one of the ways that we show light to the world. Don't buy stuff on the Sabbath because somebody else has to work to sell it to you. Also, don't buy stuff on the Sabbath because it has you thinking as a consumer about what you need and providing for yourself. And this is a day where we just remember God has provided for me. Um, Ruth Haley Barton says, to abstain from being a consumer on this day sensitizes us to the more substantive gifts that God is giving in our lives. The third thing to think about excluding is worry. This is, we can address work, but that doesn't tie in as much to our emotional or mental health. What about chronic stress? What about addictive busyness? What about taxes and budgets and to-do lists and big decision-making? Let all of that stuff on this day just wait because you're resting. And I think, too, with worry, there also comes what my, my young life friend would need to engage is don't numb out either. That's also not the point of this day. Don't just binge Netflix. What rebuilds your soul? Maybe you avoid all screens together. So if that's what we're trying to avoid, what are we trying to include? Resting your body. Rob mentioned this last week and I laughed out loud. He's like, I love to go running. And I was like, that is not on my Sabbath list. (laughs) For some of you it is. Exercise is for me. What about a nap? Or about a long walk with a loved one or a friend? What about being outside in nature? What about stretching? 
Some of us are old and we need to be stretching a lot more. Do you know how good your body feels after you just stretch? <laughs> I debated whether or not to include this. It's, I think it's important for you to know that if you were in a uh, Jewish community, your rabbi would give you bonus points if there was lovemaking involved on your Sabbath day. You're welcome. <laughs> Replenishing the spirit. What makes you joyful? What just lifts you up and makes you happy? Maybe it's listening to a whole album, music. What about reading a book? Calling that friend that you don't get to talk to near enough and every time you hang up, you say, let's, let's do this again faster than we did last time. What about writing a thank you note? What about stealing a page from these Jewish folks and, and you take time, specific time that day to go, I'm gonna speak blessing over my spouse and over my kids. Maybe you write that down. Maybe you just pull them aside. Maybe you take your kid on a date. What about making a meal? If you love cooking, some of you are like, nope, this is your running. Please don't make me cook on the Sabbath. I love cooking, especially if it's a good meal. <laughs> the last thing, restoring the soul. What does it look like for you to connect with God, to be aware of him in your life? Maybe this takes the form of sitting with a mentor. Maybe you're a journaler. Maybe silence and solitude. For Jewish folks, synagogue was a part of their Sabbath day. They would go to church. Jew Jesus, you will see over and over again in the New Testament, it was the Sabbath day and he went to the synagogue as was his custom. And Paul, in the, later in the New Testament, and on the Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue as was his custom. A place to worship, to see the curtain pulled back on heaven where you can just worship God. I'm gonna bring out the band as we begin to close. And last week, one of the things that Rob said was you need to have a plan. You've got this sheet. And my deep angst is that this feels like homework to you. Because I, I hope if we've been talking about this well this whole time, everything has been welling up in you that's saying, I want that so bad. That type of a day, if I could just have that, Oh my goodness. One of the questions that our life groups are going to be asking this week, imagine that it's December 31st, 2022, and you have taken a Sabbath day every seven days this year. How much different is your life? How much different is your relationship with God? It's a gift. Don't leave it on the counter. It's too good. And finally, I think there's this idea that where did God live? Where did God build his temple? If we want to go see him, where is it? It's in time. Not just on the Sabbath day, praise the Lord, that he is available all the time. But especially on the Sabbath day, it seems that he's saying, honor it. Don't do what you want to do that day. Do what I want to do. And what does he want to do? I think he just wants to walk around. Look at these animals. I'm cool. I'm gonna look at some clouds. I wanna talk about your heart and the fear that waits like a monster in the night. Because I love you. I, I just wanna be your dad. I wanna speak blessing over you. It's a gift. Don't miss it. Abraham Heschel says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth on the Sabbath day we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. Tend to it. 
learn the unforced rhythm of grace. And as you do, dancing becomes something that is not just a solo act, but you see the rhythm of God and what he set up from the very beginning and you join him in it. And he calls it good. He calls it very good. As you drive home today, I know that I'm introducing a lot of tension and awkward, funny conversations, hopefully good ones with your family or with the folks that you'll practice this with. Man, it's a gift. Enjoy it to the depths. We're going to um, move into a time of singing. I'm going to invite you to remain seated for this first song. You can receive it. If ideas hit you about, oh, here's what I don't want to do on Sabbath, what I do, you can jot those down. But again, my job is to pull back the curtain of heaven, to open up scripture and go, look how good. Now worship this God. Let's worship him together now. <laughs>